welcome to the Cary Church Podcast. For more information regarding Cary Church, visit www.cary.asn.au. Good morning, everyone. Uh, today I'm reading Philemon, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister and Archippus, a fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks and giving prayer. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Paul's plea for onceness. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son whilst I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful for both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would like to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favour you do would not be seen forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done any wrong to you or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that you may t- that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epharius, a fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you his greeting. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas and Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, your, be with your spirit. Thanks, Bree, for that, that reading. For those of you who may not know me, I'm John Ollie. Uh, I was just thinking that this month actually marks 17 years that Elaine and I have been at Cary. 
So it's been great. Some of you, one or two of you were here then, but it's great seeing the growth since that time. One of the things that Elaine and I do is coordinate a seniors gathering. And it's not in the notices, but in two and a half weeks' time, Wednesday the 24th, we're having an informal morning tea. We'll probably have some games together, good conversation uh, at our home. So I won't be here after the service because I'm ducking down to Forestdale, but Elaine's here so you can get more details from her. I wonder what changes you're expecting for 2018. I know one change that every single one of us is going to have. And that is that by the end of the year, we will all be one year older. We can't do anything about that. Some other changes we do have a bit of a say in, and you're probably looking forward to them. You know, it might be getting married, having a child, moving house, looking forward to a holiday, starting off at university or TAFE or getting a new job. Some of these we can look forward to with expectation. But then it would be a most unusual group if some of us did not have changes that we didn't want during the year. An unexpected illness, an accident, loss of a job. All of these are changes that are going to take place. Last week, uh, Peter had looked up Google to find what were the most popular New Year resolutions. Now here's the test. Do you remember what they were? For most countries, what was it? Peter's looking up his sermon notes to see what he wrote down. Do you remember what they were? Fitness, losing weight was at the top for many. And also there, and I think from memory it was the United States, uh, the top list was dealing with relationships. Fun? Something like that? More time with family. But what's interesting is when you think about the changes that we're going to face during this year, none of them involve just us. We're always involved in meeting with, being with other people, relating to other people, whether it's the family, whether it's the church, our neighbours, work, places of study, the sporting groups we belong to. We're always dealing with people. And other people are always dealing with us too, because that's a lot easier, isn't it? Much easier dealing with us than us dealing with other people. Yes, that's another story. But how does faith in Christ make a difference in all of these relationships? When I was asked to preach this morning and was given Philemon as a Bible passage, my immediate thought was, Philemon? You may have wondered that when you heard the reading this morning yourself. And yet, it's an amazing letter for looking at the difference that being in Christ makes as we relate to other people, particularly in difficult situations. The Apostle Paul strides across the New Testament. 
You know, someone to say even that he's more important for Christianity than Jesus. I mean, after all, his letters take up more than twice the space of any one of the Gospels. But yet the thing about Paul is he's never drawing attention to himself. He always wants to say, it is Christ. It is Christ who is central. It's Christ I want to draw your attention to. And certainly that's what we find here. You know, there's one Australian, well, it's a British custom for that matter, that I've always found odd. What happens when you get a letter? Where do you go to first? Do you ever look at the end to say who wrote that letter? That is if you don't recognise the handwriting, if you still do write letters. Or maybe even a text. You know, if it hasn't come up on your, already on your contact list, who sent this text? You look down to the bottom. Romans were much more friendly and user aware than that. They started their letters by saying, first of all, who wrote it? You don't have to look to the end. And so this letter starts off. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Straight away, you know who is writing. Yes, Paul was a prisoner. Probably in Rome. He was an older person at this time. And he was there because of his preaching of Christ. But he doesn't just say, I'm a prisoner of Rome. He says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus, because after all, it is Christ that he is serving. When we come to this letter, it's most unusual. All of Paul's other letters are written either to churches, you know, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, etc., or he's writing to church leaders, Timothy and Titus, about church leadership. But this letter is written to an individual. It's written to Philemon. It's written about another individual, Onesimus. And it's a letter that deals with the relationship between three people. Yes, on the one side, you've got Philemon. A leader in the church at Colossae. We've got his reading there. If you look at verses 4 to 7, we find about him as Paul praises his love and his faith that has enriched the life of the whole community. He has a church that meets in his household, in his house. He's a reasonably well-off person. He's a free Roman citizen. He has slaves. He has standing in the community. And obviously, too, standing in the church that meets in his household. Then on the other side, we've got Onesimus. Now, if, if Philemon is up there in terms of social standing, Onesimus is down there. Sorry, down on the floor. Because Onesimus is a slave. The lowest on the pecking order in Roman society. Not only that, he's a runaway slave. 
He may have even taken some money from Philemon when he ran away. I mean, after all, if he didn't take any money, how was he going to survive? Somehow or other, he got to Rome. Now, Colossae is in Turkey, you know, 100k or so in from, from Ephesus, from the Aegean Sea. Paul's in Rome, a bit of a distance between the two, but he got there somehow. And somehow, yeah, all of these somehows, we wish we knew more. But somehow, he met up with Paul and Onesimus became a believer in Christ. Look at verses 10 to 13. And you have that description about Onesimus. If you have it there. You know, he, there you got the statement that I appeal to you for my son. That's interesting. He calls Onesimus his son, who became my son while I was in chains. How did that happen? Well, he became a believer, and that's what his father-son relationship is. Through Paul, Onesimus became a believer in Christ. But not any more, not only that, the name Onesimus means useful. And so Paul takes up another Greek word and he then says, if we have the next slide, formerly he was useless to you, but now he's become useful. Now he's what his name really does mean. Useful to you and to me. But to know a little bit more about Onesimus, we actually have to duck over to Colossians. I'm not going to read it out, but Paul also wrote a letter to the church of Colossae. Colossae was the city where Philemon was. You know, Philemon's church in his household was probably a number of a group of churches in, in Colossae in different Families. Paul is sending a letter to Colossae and he's sending it by his co-worker Tychicus and Onesimus. Onesimus is taking the letter to Colossae. In just a moment, who else is in Colossae? Philemon. So it's probable that Onesimus is carrying this letter as well. If only I knew what Onesimus was thinking. You, you picture yourself. You, you've been a slave. You've run away. We don't know the reasons, but you probably took some money. But you've become a believer. You've enjoyed working with and helping Paul while he's been in prison in Rome. But now you are going back to Philemon. You, you know Paul's written this letter, but you certainly don't know how Philemon is going to respond. Well, we don't know. Because right in the middle, Philemon, Onesimus, we've got Paul. Paul's been sheltering a runaway slave. I don't know that he would have got into trouble from the authorities for that, but I wonder what other people thought about it. And, and if he's now sending Onesimus back, 
Whose side is he going to take in this relationship? Would you like to be in that relationship? Are you saying, Onesimus, you're a slave. You're down there. Philemon, he's your master. You've got to go back. And I'll leave it to Philemon to decide what he's going to do. After all, Philemon has every right to punish you. There's certainly a vast difference in Roman law between the rights of a free person and those, if any, of a slave. But no, this is an appeal by Paul to Philemon. What's going to shape his response? What are the factors that are right at the core of the relationship? And I believe it's these factors that can be at the core of all of our relationships with one another, with others. Let's go back to verse 6, we can, where Paul says, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith. Now that word, I pray your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. That phrase, partnership in the faith, uses a Greek word you may well have heard of, koinonia. Or depending upon where you put the emphasis, koinonia. Sometimes it's translated fellowship, sometimes sharing, sometimes participation. Expresses the wonder of being a believer in Christ. It expresses the fact that when we become a follower of Christ, when we become one of his disciples, we're bound together with Christ. We share his life. We're bound together with one another in a body. We share the blessings, the benefits of Christ's life, his death, his resurrection, his presence. We share the gifts and the experiences of one another. Yeah, when you think of the body, it's easier for us at this time of the year to remember that a couple of weeks ago it was Christmas. And think of that Christmas meal. What have we got? Our eyes look at the food and can enjoy the beauty. Our mouth then enjoys the taste. And what, our ears can enjoy the good conversation because it never tastes quite the same if we're eating on our own. And we enjoy the benefits. Well, now, of course, sometimes if one part suffers, all suffer, and if we eat too much, there may be a little bit of suffering. Just a little bit more exercise to take it off. But that's what it means to be in a body that when one part has something good, it's shared with the whole. When one part suffers, it shares. And Paul's statement here about being partnership in the faith, sharing together, being involved with Christ, is a real counter to the individualism of our society because it's together that we're growing more like Christ. That shapes our relationships that we are not individuals, 
we are part of a body, relating, sharing with each other. A related key is worked out in the way that Paul speaks to Philemon about Onesimus. Look at verses 15 to 16, if we can have those on the slide, where Paul says, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. In Christ, Philemon and Onesimus have become brothers. How many times at Christmas did we sing the song, O Holy Night? Do you remember the words, Chains shall he break? Remember the next line? The slave is my brother. That's what we've seen. Change shall he break. The slave is my brother. And those words in that song are no doubt related to this particular verse. Yeah, Paul regularly speaks of believers as brothers and sisters. It's his most common term. And I find it quite significant that as I read the letter of Paul to Philemon, it's hard to decide whose side Paul is taking, Philemon's or Onesimus's. Isn't that a clue? Here is a dispute. Paul is not taking sides. Nor is he simply standing off and saying, I'm going to have nothing to do with it. You two fight it out amongst yourselves. He's rather saying, no, you two are brothers in Christ. That is how you are to work out this issue. I treat both of you with the same love, the same respect. I love you both. I respect you both. That is a difference that Christ makes. This is quite revolutionary. Some years ago, when I was on study leave and in Cambridge, I saw an interesting poster in one of the colleges. It dealt with what was worn during the Tudor period in England, in the colleges. And here it had a poster, master of the college and the gown he wore, yeah, down to his ankles. You know, fellows. And then went through, you know, students of the college, students who, who were on scholarship at the college. And as you saw, went down the list, the gowns got shorter and shorter. The porter at the door the janitors, the gardeners. And I think the gardeners were about the shortest at all. They were almost wore miniskirts. Where you were in the pecking order was shown by the clothes you wore. And if you know anything, that tradition of the length of a gown still follows in academic circles. 
you know, bachelor's gowns, undergraduate gowns are shorter than bachelor's, are shorter than master's. Status. Our society is full of symbols of status. Might be where you live, it might be your education, it might be your wealth, it might be the car you drive, the clothes you wear, the way you speak, the family name that you've got and its background, sporting achievements, fitness. You know, even in the egalitarian society that we claim Australia is, there are plenty of status symbols that sort of let you know where you fit on a pecking order. In a family of brothers and sisters, there should be no pecking order. About 20 years ago, Elaine and I were in Zimbabwe and we had the pleasure of going to a game reserve. And one of the images I have, except my, I'm going to ask for some help in a moment, was watching the animals around the waterhole near dusk. Have others seen that experience? Had they experienced? What happened was almost like a choreographed performance because the animals came in a different order. Now, I forget. Who's from South Africa to help me? Which animals? Can you help me, Garth? Which animals come first? Normally, your buck, the spring buck, or the uh, antelopes. They come first. So, So they came together, and all the other animals are in their patch at the back. Then comes the next animal. How touching you now, Garth? Maybe um, a giraffe. Uh-huh. Or an the giraffes. The elephant. The water. But what was fascinating was watching it, and, and each group of animals would stand back until the previous group had finished. This morning, we're going to meet around communion. Actually, that word communion also means, is the word koinonia. It's a participation. It's a sharing in Christ. Just as the, you know, the bread and the, the wine become part of our body, it's a sort of symbol of the way in which Christ, his love, his benefits, his presence fill us. And we share together. But as we come up, there is no pecking order. Oh, it may be those in the front row get there first, but that's, that's the nearest we get. We don't say uh, important people first because we're all important people. That's where the difference Christ makes. The world has its status symbols. But in Christ, we all have the same status. As Paul wrote, in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male or female, all one in Christ. That's what got Jesus into trouble. He was quite happy being seen with people on the fringe of society, the riffraff. Here's the difference that being in Christ makes. Onesimus may be labelled by society as a slave, little more than a cog, but now he has a new standing. Uh Uh-uh, but he's still a slave. He's still in society. And that's the situation we're all in. It is one thing to say in Christ we're all alike, 
But we're all involved in relationships where there are differences. Sometimes Paul is criticised for sending Onesimus back. Why didn't he advocate the abolition of slavery, people say? Slavery was embedded in Roman society and its economics. The Christian church is a small minority and on the fringe. To protest against slavery would have been ineffective. There are many Christian slaves in non-Christian households. And as Tom Wright comments, even if all the Christians of Paul's days suddenly release their slaves, it's by no means clear the slaves themselves would benefit. A large body of people suddenly unemployed in the ancient world may not enjoy their freedom as they would imagine. Now what Paul does is he operates within the structures of society but in a sense subverts them from inside. He transforms the relationships within those structures. And that's what happens in relationships we're involved in, whether it be employment, financial issues, family tensions. Yes, brothers can sometimes argue and not act as brothers. The structures are there, but in Christ there's a potential to transform Look at what happened regarding slavery. Like a mustard seed that's planted and then gradually has its effect. Look at what happened with slavery. Carey Church takes its name from William Carey. I think we've got his picture here just to remind us. William Carey, in 1792, published a pamphlet Yes, it's that size, so don't think of just an A4 sheet folded over, that led the formation in Kettering of the Baptist Missionary Society. Kerry himself was to go on to India, where he stayed until his death 40 years later. But how's this for a title? Inquiry into the obligation of Christians to use means for the conversion of the heathens, in which the religious state of the different nations of the world the success of former undertakings and the practicability of further undertakings are considered by William Carey. And it is a masterpiece and it's incredibly modern. But for our purposes this morning, this statement is interesting. He refers to our monthly prayer meetings because for some years, the ministers and others in that uh, area uh, about 100k or more north of London, had been meeting for monthly prayer. He said, the churches that have engaged in the practice have in general since that time been evidently on the increase. Some controversies, which have long perplexed and divided the church, are more clearly stated than ever. There are calls to preach the gospel in many places where it hasn't been unusually published then note this, including all that, which we may say, yes, nice and spiritual, a noble effort has been made to abolish the inhuman slave trade. And though at present it's not been so successful as it might be wished, yet it is to be hoped it will be persevered in till it is accomplished. And then later on, he refers to the fact that many were boycotting sugar from the West Indies because it was being produced by slave trade. Of course, he has a side, he said, 
Just think of the money you are saving by not having that sugar. Now, if you were to put that money towards our cause, we'd have more than enough to be able to send out missionaries. But this is all part of. Here's in Kettering, and if we could have the next slide. It's interesting that to this day, you have the coat of arms of the borough of Kettering. There's two little balls uh, at the centre, blue and white wavy lines. That's actually there because it's in Kettering that the Baptist Missionary Society was formed. And that's remembered in their coat of arms to this day. But on the side, what do you see? A slave with the chains broken. Because Kettering and people there were active in the move to abolish the slave trade. Slavery today has many forms, but again, Christians are to the fore. Raising awareness and initiating actions. Some of you may have seen these ones. If you have the next slide, these booklets are on the information table. Ethical Fashion Guide, Ethical Electronics Guide. And this is research that's been done by the Advocacy Group of Baptist World Aid Australia about what's involved in the supply chain for the various fashion brands that we're familiar with. Or electronics goods. You can go and Google them and get them on the web too. The supply chain. Yes, we buy, you know, it's good to be able to go and buy cheaper clothes, but what has been involved in their production? What are the working conditions of the people who are making those clothes? What are the conditions of the people who are producing the raw goods, the cotton, etc.? The minerals, the metals are involved in the electronics industry. What's the conditions under which those people are working? And this is sort of giving you a mark from A to B, C, with pluses and minuses, of different brands that are common in Australia. And this has been effective. It's been quite a change since the first edition to the second edition. And then just last month, the Australian Parliament published its final report on an inquiry into establishing a modern slavery act in Australia. It deals with issues of practices in industries in Australia, yes, where there's still slavery, particularly involving some migrant communities, and the supply chain used by Australian businesses. The Baptist World Aid, Baptist World Aid advocacy team wrote just before Christmas, for the past 12 months, Many of us have been campaigning hard to make this new act as robust as possible. We're thrilled to see each of the policies we recommended echoed in the committee's final recommendations. But you know that what a committee recommends is not necessarily what the government then comes to introduce. So it continues, if the government adopts these recommendations, Australia's Modern Slavery Act could improve the lives of millions of workers in supply chains around the world, as well as of those trapped in slavery here in Australia. Join us in 2018 as we work hard to get the Modern Slavery Act over the line. Organisations such as Baptist World Aid, TIA and others provide avenues for us to be involved, 
through prayer. Remember how William Carey highlighted the monthly prayer meetings for these actions. Advocacy, financial support, yes, and even the clothes, the goods that we choose to buy. You see, the mustard seed that was planted in that early church, but yes, we can't remove slavery, but we can transform the relationship. That mustard seed has expanded so that we see changes around the world, affecting not only Christians, but beyond to other humans, irrespective of their background. So finally then, as you look ahead in 2018, what are the relationships that you're involved in? Each of us is an individual. No two of us are alike. We don't face the same issues, no matter where we are, church, family, work, and so on. We're always fighting issues of status, tension. We live within structures that fall short of God's purposes. But Paul gives us a clue that the dynamics of the Philemon, Onesimus, Paul relationships, their interaction reminds us of the good that can be like the mustard seed that transforms. The good of knowing that we're together in Christ. That through Christ we've been made brothers and sisters. We encourage and support one another. One of the things that Elaine and I do is that we're part of a program the gym called Living Longer, Living Stronger. We, we try to go twice a week. And what's interesting is that program is partly individual because no two of us are the same. We each have different fitness needs and different exercises we need to do. But we're part of a group and we do some things together. And it's interesting how being part of a group keeps us going. You know, if we're not there, oh, we missed you last Friday. Where were you? There's an encouragement that comes through knowing we're in this together. We're supporting each other. We're not competing against each other. Well, now sometimes we play games and can get competitive, but in general, we're not competing against each other. We're encouraging each other. Look again at the letter to Philemon. I said it was written to Philemon, as Paul writing. But now Paul says, Paul and Timothy. And he writes also to Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Well, look at verses 23 to 25, which we up on the screen. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, sends you greetings. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And the your there is plural. The letter was read not just by Philemon. It wasn't a confidential letter. It was read to the whole church. And it was a letter for the whole church. Because they are helping and encouraging one another. The meeting of Philemon and Onesipus would not have been easy. Each was being asked to do what was not normal behaviour. There was scope for pride, for anger, for retribution, for escape. Paul's the grace 
of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit was not just a polite ending like kind regards. Paul knew that it was through the grace of Christ that change comes. It doesn't depend on us. It is Christ, the life of Christ within us by his spirit that in the complexities of our various relationships works out the life that Christ gives as we share together the good things in Christ that we have. And so, as you look ahead, as we all look ahead to whatever this year brings, I join in Paul's prayer, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. O Christ our Lord, we rejoice in the difference that you make in our lives, in our relationships. And this year, may we increasingly know your grace, transforming us, transforming us here together, transforming us all in whatever relationships we are involved in. And to you be the glory. Amen.